Hi guys, I'm Samridhi. Hey, I'm Parnjaya. I am Sai. And we are part of Whole Humans Podcast Brain Bash. Last episode, we discussed alternative medicine, why we shouldn't be calling it alternative medicine, and we discussed some systems in the U.S. We also went a little bit into systems around the world. Today, we're going to get more into that. Parnjaya, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I think in the last couple of episodes, what we've been talking a lot about is um, like differences between alternate differences between alternative medicine, I'm using air quotes there, and biomedicine, and how those differences might lead to patient distrust with biomedicine system. But I think that the angle that we're going to be targeting this today is going to be a little bit different. Um, So the point that I wanted to bring up is how do you guys feel about immigrants in the United States coming from their healthcare system in their home countries potentially being broken and then how when they come to America how that might affect their view of physicians or their view on um, the American healthcare system. Yeah, um, so I know that uh, I've taken classes on the historical uh, first perspective perspective on how physicians navigate physicians immigrants navigate america and it's a lot of um first uh being unwelcome and then finally like having the doors be opened and it's a lot of like being unsure about where your footing stands especially on like they already have like rocky relationships with the government in their home countries and then they come to America, which, and then the government here is like, Ooh, we don't even know if we want y'all here. And then, so they just have like a, I mean, I'm not gonna even say they, cause of course not all groups of people have a uniform opinion about everything, mm-hmm. but most people that immigrant here are not that willing to trust the government. That's why you see um, a lot lower rates of um, being on governmental programs in Asian American immigrants. Mm. Yeah, there's not a lot of um, trust between them and governments, especially how the American government has targeted them with things like um, Japanese internment camps and McCarthyism. But that's the historical perspective. Right now, when I was thinking about immigrants navigating the healthcare system in America, I was considering it from the point of alternative medicine, how they might want to access the medicines that they are used to, and they might not want to um, go to biomedicine. And when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about how um, physicians that practice alternative medicines or neo-traditional medicines, they aren't seen as legitimate by most healthcare systems run by governments, run by states. So that legitimacy prevents them from opening practices and distributing medications in countries that have a stronger government hold on their country. So yeah, so I was thinking about how physicians who are not allowed to practice, they the immigrants will not be able to access the medicines they prefer. That's just what I was thinking about. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point and one that I don't, like the only type of medicine that I have ever experienced or like my family's ever really sought out is, I guess what you would call biomedicine. Even in Nepal, I feel like, I mean, I can't speak from firsthand experience, but, but I think that a lot of people even in Nepal seek biomedicine. Um, and I say that because of like this coronavirus situation, I think a lot of them 
want to go into these hospitals and receive, uh, I guess, classic care of what we think Western doctors would give them care, but some of them are not able to receive that. Simrithi, do you have experience with that? Saying that, because I think that we have very biased outlooks on this, because I'm Nawadi, you're bone. We both have like very privileged um, family members and the family friends that we know. So the news that we are getting about Nepal, like we are getting it from people that will have access to go to biomedical hospitals, whether it's government hospitals or privately run hospitals, which is two very different things in Nepal. I, uh, I come from India, and in India, I know for a fact that biomedicine has kind of a bad rep because of hospital or big hospital chains and what they practice. Corruption definitely has a role to play in that as, you know, people are brought in for random checkups and end up spending thousands of rupees on random treatments that they don't even know what's happening to them. So biomedicine definitely has some more of a bad rep in India, at least from a firsthand experience. I, you know, I've seen this a little bit. I lived in India for a little bit. So I've seen this from my eyes that many residents in India tend to go towards an alternative medicine because they feel that, you know, such as homeopathy or something that's more natural, like if you guys have heard of Dabur, that's one of like the homeopathic brands in India. And people tend to go more towards that because they feel that that has more of a accuracy in terms of like, you know, getting rid of health problems. And it has more of less of a financial stress for them in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, as I said earlier, when you go to like big hospital chains, oftentimes they don't even know what's happening to them and they end up spending things out of the middle of nowhere. So in comparison to that, people tend to trust more of alternative medicine and that plays a role when they come here because they still tend to be in that same sort of mindset, even though our healthcare system has, you know, less corruption in it. And, you know, we put more of an emphasis on biomedicine. Definitely people that come to the America as Americas as immigrants try to still veer towards that you know, homeopathy, allopathy type of medicine, despite an abundance of biomedicine here. Yeah. When I think about that, I really want to stress on the definition of corruption, because I am not sure about what kind of corruption is going on in other countries. But when I think about corruption in American medicine, the first thing that comes to mind is the opioid epidemic. And I don't even know a lot about that too. So that's just something to consider. But I also know that in India, the Ayurvedic medicine is very unique because it has been industrialized to a degree where there are companies that specifically make make treatments with specific ingredients and it is standardized like it would be in a pharmaceutical market, but it is still not completely pharmaceutical, if you know what I mean. It's it's Mm -hmm. still... It, it still has like some sense of the traditional and the famil- the familiarity of what um, people who are living in India are used to, but it does have some standardization. And people are saying that that standardization could take away from the familiarity or the like personable treatment that you would have if you actually go to someone who directly practices Ayurveda and they prescribe you those medications themselves and they like make it to your needs, make it to your um, uh, financial limitations. So yeah, it has um, changed a little bit and India is very special because they have access to that market where it is kind of a compromise between what is going on in the Western world and what is going on in India. So that's pretty interesting. For sure. I definitely agree with that. Ayurvedic medicine has definitely been standardized in the sense that 
you know, there's been brands that have released a wide array of products over the past few years that I didn't even think was possible from Ayurvedic, you know, medicine, like face washes, lipsticks. And I'm like, my grandma uses an Ayurvedic toothpaste. Exactly. Ayurvedic toothpaste. And I'm looking at it like, okay, so all these have, yeah, they might have Ayurvedic elements in it, but the amount of reach that it's getting is dangerously close to like, you know, any normal medicine brand that you might find, right? Any normal standardization brand that you might find. However, what I find happening is that, yeah, a lot of people tend to still find that sense of relatability towards Ayurvedic medicine, despite it getting standardized on such a big level, because I think, you know, the, they believe that the core elements are the same. So if you have, you know, something like Colgate and something like Ayurvedic medicine, people like, especially my relatives, I can see like my family friends, they tend to go more towards the Ayurvedic paste. I think even my dad uses an Ayurvedic toothpaste because they feel that, you know, that has more herbal value, that has more medicinal value than the biomedicine toothpaste, like, you know, just any normal toothpaste that you might find on the market. I definitely do agree though, that as they keep expanding their reach, like, you know, brands like Patanjali, brands like Dabur, as they keep expanding their reach in Ayurvedic medicine, it's going to hurt the relatability sense that they have with the public because, you know, they don't become any different than any other sort of biomedicine, any sort of big pharmaceutical, you know, company, especially since, you know, Ayurvedic face washes, Ayurvedic toothpastes, they're not something that you would normally associate with Ayurvedic medicine. So definitely, I think that's something that one has to look out for when looking in terms of like the Ayurvedic medicine industry and how much reach it's getting. Yeah. So do you guys think that it's like more of a compromise that these Ayurvedic uh, medicine are having this large reach? Or do you think that they're kind of taking the negative aspect of um, biomedicine and using that for their traditional practices? Mm, that I don't know. I think both of them are compromising, yeah. you know, because, um, yeah, like when like when something like this does expand, they kind of have to take in more capitalistic values. I'm thinking about in terms of Tibetan medicine, which is different from Ayurvedic medicine, but this Tibetan medicine is the is the topic that I recently read a book about, so I would know more about it. Um, so in Tibetan medicine, which is Sola Rikpa, they do have medications, and that is usually tailored to a specific patient based on what the patient needs, but also based on the financial limitations that the patient might be experiencing. And that intimate relationship between the physician and the patient, it is very specific, it is very special because it is localized like they are literally in the same community they probably know each other outside of the clinic and um that specificity that specificity and that like the philosophical value it is also central to what soa is and part of that practice is um getting to know the patient's body specifically and that is how you manufacture the medication that versus a standardized medication where it is the same for everybody, that is very different from what the core tradition is where it is a specific medicine to each person. And that individualization versus a standardization, that can lead to some sort of loss in philosophical or spiritual value. Yeah, I think along those same lines too, I think that I think that it's a little bit of both, as some of the early, some of the early said that, you know, they are using the negative aspect of 
this biomedicine turning into a positive for them because people, when they see Ayurvedic medicine, despite the standardization on such a big level, they tend to go towards it more, even though it veers slightly close to the biomedicine side of things. But there is a loss of that original component of, you know, spiritualization, the original component of like purity, if you know what I mean, of the medicine that tends to get lost in the process of making it on a bigger scale. Um, regarding, I think regarding this uh, immigrants coming from America, what are you guys' opinions on mental health and how immigrants perceive it, especially in the States? I know for a fact that there's a lot of stigmas in India about mental health. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to see like, what are your thoughts on mental health, especially when for immigrants coming? Yeah, I, I have a lot of family members who struggle with mental health issues and definitely a big part of why um, they didn't seek out care from America is because they still hold on to that stigmatization that they see in their home country. And especially, I think their biggest fear wasn't necessarily having that diagnosis, but having the word get out to the Nepali community in America. Um, it, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, they think that it'll bring shame to the family. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it took a lot of honestly separating out from the Nepali community in America for my family to actually get my family members the treatment that they need, if that makes any sense. You know, like they had to remove themselves from the Nepali community, um, which is really sad because while they were getting that individualized treatment for their uh, mental illnesses, they had to kind of, in a sense, lose a part of themselves because that was hindering them from getting the proper treatment. Um, I think relating to the stigma uh, of mental health, I can definitely see that still in, as you know, as Paranjaya earlier mentioned, I still see that in the, you know, Asian American communities in America that have, you know, immigrated. That's definitely still persistent. It's something along the lines of, you know, bringing shame to the entire community if you go and seek out help for, for mental health. Something I don't understand, as I feel that mental health is equally if not more as much of a preference as, you know, normal physical health, but people still believe that it's very shameful to go seek out mental health. They tend to view it in general terms, like, you know, being crazy, being psychotic. Mm -hmm. And that's never, you know, that's not at all the situation, but people tend to let go. People tend to not let go of that earlier stigma or the olden day stigma of the fact that mental health as taboo, it still translates over to the U S and I still see that with many mental health patients. They tend to, of the Asian American community, they they're told to, you know, distract themselves. They're told to use that, you know, depression in a happier outlet. And it's just comes down to not understanding the entire scope of mental health and not wanting to understand the entire scope of mental health that is preventing many mental health patients in the Asian American community from reaching their audience mm -hmm. or from reaching, you know, the help that they need. Yeah, I, I think that's a part of it, but I don't think it's all within the community. I think um, stereotypes that are put on the Asian American community definitely play a part. Like um, the Asian stereotypes I can think of immediately is just like the stoicism and like the worker bee kind of like visual where Asian Americans are expected to be like good at working, that like smart or whatever that, that stereotype. And it kind of... Um, like the most noticeable thing that I hear people talking about is how it prevents us from be, like uh, reaching leadership positions in the workplace, but it also can affect how uh, we are perceived in terms of how we feel about things because 
Um, I read this book by Kathy Park Hong. It's called Minor Feelings. And one quote that was very notable to me is that she said, to talk about Asian American feelings, first we have to prove that we have feelings. And I, I think that's pretty accurate because like, I think especially in terms of how we're perceived as a constant foreigner status in America and that that playing a part in how, I guess, um, Asian Americans, we aren't really given a role to play in what is seen as American. That kind of foreigner status will definitely make it harder to pursue resources that are available to Americans. That and like that perception that I was talking about earlier of just stoicism is definitely um, something that contributes to Asian Americans not reaching out, probably because they sense some sort of pushback that it's not um, expected or it's not, um, I don't know, seen as common for them to even have mental health issues. It's interesting too though because like with any sort of physical illness like if it's you know some sort of debilitating illness that will stop Asian Americans from like I don't know providing for their family or like being a productive member of society if you could see my air quotes right now um, like there's not so much stigma around that I feel like the Asian American family really um, pours like support into their community members who struggle with physical ailments. But then like if we're using that same line of thought that Simriti, you were talking about um, how mental health bars people from like contributing, contributing to society or like being that worker bee, like where's that difference? Sorry, can you repeat your question? Like, I'm trying to say like, Physical ailments also would, if you, if somebody has cancer, for example, in an Asian American household, then I doubt that they would experience the same level of stigma, despite the fact that they won't be able to be that worker bee or be that model minority because of their physical ailment. So what, where does that difference come from if they have uh, mental health issues? Yeah, probably because they can't see that it's happening. Right. Using because um, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but most Asian cultures do have like a spiritual like perception on yeah. a, on what a person is. So like I, I don't yeah I would I would love to know more about that disconnect specifically. Mm. I don't know since since you said model minority, I just feel like I have to touch on how model minority is definitely a myth. Listeners, it is a myth that we're not like there. It's it's basically um, this idea that somehow Asian American immigrants are better than other ethnic groups or ethnic minorities in America because we have higher rates of this and that and earnings and stuff, whatever. But the historical matter is that America used to only let Asian immigrants in who already were doctors, who already were people that had high level degrees and that had high level wages, and then. And they took credit for those people's financial successes like oh see we made them but you didn't make them they came here like this and because of that selectivity that's how Asian Americans were able to get um, I don't know to get this perception of financial wealth and yeah but that's only some Asian American groups too for sure I mean, that, that just bleeds into why we don't legitimize mental health concerns in the first, like, that's a part of the reason, because we have this, like, internal and external pressure to uphold this model minority status, even though it's based on 
nothing, you know. Yeah, the purpose of it was to, uh, it, it was to specifically push down Black communities. It was to compare them to another ethnic minority, like, oh, see, this is what they're doing. Why can't you do right. that? But yeah, like the purpose of it and the false basis of the model minority myth should, like that, that should be everything that people need to convince themselves like, what is this? Like, we shouldn't even be following this. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, these kind of topics, you got to keep, you know, questioning the norm because the norm is not always right. And if it does lead to more questions and solutions, then, you know, so be it because those questions will you know, eventually get solutions with more and more talk on this, especially things like mental health, which, you know, are solved by talking more and more about it. So, yeah, I think that's my opinion on this. I was very, you know, I look forward to this conversation. I was very pleased with how it turned out. Yeah, I look forward to, you know, answering the questions that come afterwards. I want to wrap up by just like throwing out some questions that we were thinking of when we were having this conversation. I know that the most recent one that I asked was, why is it when, definitely generalizing here, but why is it when Asian American, Asian communities have like this spiritual perception or like this non completely physical perception of a person as a whole. Like, why is it then when we have that, just that way of seeing a person, why is it that we can't see mental health for the value or like the standing that it has in comparison to a um, physical illness? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. What questions? Um, I don't know if I had a question, but maybe like a thought to that, to the question that you had, maybe like we separate, of course, again, generalization, maybe Asian Americans, we separate out like spirituality from our work or like what we need to get done to provide for the family. You know, like maybe those two things are not as integrated as they should be. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like that could be a part of like what is going on in Asian countries because for me I know that Nepal has had a um, just a very politically turmoiled past in the last 20 years so um, that could play a part into how religion that's um, religion by Nepali youth still generalizing but religion by Nepali youth is kind of seen as a way to control the people and it's not really seen as a spiritual journey because um, there is a lot of corruption in Nepal and a lot of young people have the viewpoint that religious state leaders that like religious leaders that have a state involvement or religious leaders that earn a lot of money um, they feel that those people are controlling them in a way, are enforcing some rules just to make more money, just to have more power. And that kind of disillusionment will um, prevent them from exploring the spiritual side of the of their heritage. And that's, that's in Asia. So that still doesn't explain why Asian Americans, I mean, well, I, I guess like the distance Oh, the distance between that culture and this culture. But that still doesn't explain why it can't be bridged. So, hmm, hmm. I think that's just one of the things that, you know, it, despite Asian Americans, you know, immigrating here for such a long time, 
that gap has still not been bridged. And it's one of the things where it seems like there's no answer, but I think the only answer is to just educate again and again, and slowly the gap will be bridged. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That that's not oh, that's not satisfying to me. I uh, I think it might have something to do with a pushback against the foreigner status because if people are telling Asian Americans that they are foreigners and then Asian Americans are being we're not foreigners. This is how we're going to prove we're not foreigners. And that results them in um, ignoring or putting to the side a little bit of their cultural heritage. That might be a part that, that goes on in like how we are, who we are today. Oof. Okay. Yeah, this has me thinking some thoughts. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing up those perspectives. Hmm. What if, what, I want to talk about either some suggestions of solutions that we have or our ideas for the future of what we talked about, the future of how immigrants perceive medicine in America. What do y'all think? Well, this is like the most corny line ever, but I really think that just by talking about these things that we're bringing like this to people's consciousness that, um, you know, I, I think that what Sai said is that it really just will take time to make this shift. It's not going to happen within one generation. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it's not a satisfying answer, but I really think that that's, that's how change is made. Yeah. I think by satisfying, I think I mean that I want a project that intentionally intends to change Asian Americans' perception about mental health. And that intention will change everything. Like even if it only happens over a few generations, that intention is the difference between having maybe one sentence about mental health in a conversation, whereas a conversation that's completely dedicated to exploring why our community is the way it is today. Hmm. Okay. Y'all might see something like that from me in the future. I don't know. Hmm. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm, for sure. In terms of like medicine and the gap, I think that I'm not really too sure what will happen in the future because, you know, before I made predictions, like, you know, as to what happened and it's gone exist. There's two ways of going about it. One is keeping with the stigmas and then one is evolving. I think it will be a mix of both because people are not ready to give up their stigmas too fast, especially in the Asian American community. But at the same time, you know, the third generation of Asian American or the new or the new generation of Asian American, you know, people like, you know, our generation are definitely bringing more and more awareness to the matter and trying to change the thoughts. So I think as has been mentioned earlier, it will take time, but I think it'll slowly evolve in the future. I don't know. Like, yeah, I definitely agree that intention is huge. And like the whole identity of Asian Americans too, I feel like it's really fragmented. I don't know if that's a, that's the right way to describe it, but like, I haven't seen, like you said, a kind of a focused, I haven't seen too many focused conversations on this topic about Asian American and their relationship with mental health and their relationship with mental health in medicine. Um, so, man, I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah. I couldn't ask you, I, I couldn't tell you what I think the future of this will be. Yeah. Because I, I haven't really seen it in action. Yeah. I was um, thinking about that too. Like the Asian American identity is very diverse and that is something to be celebrated and that's something to be kept alive because yeah, that, that is definitely not a negative at all. And the, but um, like, I think looking at our histories, our individual countries' histories and our history as a continent, like that might provide a path into seeing what we can do all together in this continent. But, well, yeah, I know, I know. I was thinking about whether even if we should have a unifying identity, is it fine that we are different? Like, I mean, of course it is, but do we need to have a unifying identity to have an impact on America as a community, as like one community? Hmm. Yeah. This is an Asian American centered conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think with all of us being Asian Americans, we all bring our perspectives, you know, into the conversation. So that's why the conversation tends to be more Asian American. Uh, shifted and there are a lot of stigmas that are associated with the Asian American, you know, medicine industry, Asian American medical thoughts, as we talked about earlier, alternative versus biomedicine. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Full circle. Full circle. Okay. Okay, sir and ma'am. I think that this conversation has come to, well, no, it definitely has not come to its <laughs> end, but. Oh, I think that our brain has produced all the thoughts that it could at this moment about this specific topic. So it will be continued at a later date by maybe different people, maybe by the same people, but we will see y'all later. Bye. This has been Whole Human. Bye, everyone. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>